Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show. We have a very special guest today, and that is because we have the incredible Mickey James on the show. What's going on? Oh, not much. How are you? Doing fantastic. We were just yeah. talking about, right before we came on, uh, one of your new songs. And I have to ask, you know, we'll, we'll get into the wrestling stuff and all of that, but okay. where did your inspiration to become an artist come from or was that something that you always wanted to do um I it was something that I always wanted to do but I just didn't think I was any good at you know um I think that I was a bit deterred away from like singing at a younger age because you know I was one I only sang in like the church choir or in the bathroom or <laughs> you know down at the farm while I was cleaning up the stalls and stuff like that so it was just one of those things and I remember this moment of being like I think it was uh, and I'll date myself here. I was like recording myself to Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. So I was like wow. playing on the A side and recording myself on the B side. And I probably had sang this song maybe 10, 15 times in a row before my stepdad came in and was like, please, for the love of God, stop singing. And I think that I was like, oh. but he was Dang, that's, oh, that's brutal. Yeah. Brutal. No, but legit. And I go like, I didn't think I could be a singer. I just didn't think it was good at it, but I was always writing and I was always writing in lyrical form, right? Like I've always written kind of in that and I've written other stuff, poetry and all that other stuff. Um, I played the violin for years, you know, from I think fifth grade all the way up to about 10th grade. And then I really, like I was trying to be cool. And so I kind of fell out of it going like, oh, I can't play the violin and be cool. <laughs> I think the violin is super cool. Super cool. I was an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I put it down? Like you're looking out there and you have something that you're kind of talented at and you love to do it. Who cares what everybody else thinks? We're all nerds. Totally fine. It's exciting. It's cool to be a nerd these days. It's so funny how that happened. Even from right? when I was younger too. I feel like that's just the older you get, the cooler you think that people who are more nerdy are. Because all right. nerdy means is passionate about something, right? right? Totally. So, and I'm super nerd if that's the case. But I do remember on the bus one day when this when I was still riding the bus, obviously, um, being tripped up, and I almost I took a bump on my violin case in the hallway, being tripped because I was a nerd. Mm. <laughs> Look back. That's, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. are, the only yeah. problem with instruments in school is that you had to lug them around everywhere, like. Right. And I don't know why I didn't think about it at the time, because you would think like it would have served as the perfect weapon if I wanted to defend myself. And I never once yeah. used it. I mean, I had a bow, I had a fiddle, I had a case, <laughs> it shuts. You know, there's been, a, I could have had a whole match with just the violin in its case, you know? It's true. Own it. And speaking of matches, like when you were growing <laughs> up, did you, did you ever think that you were gonna do what you ended up doing or? Like, was that even a thing or how, how did that come to fruition? Um, I, you know, it's, well, it's kind of crazy, but I was a wrestling fan. I was a wrestling fan as a child. I, I watched wrestling with my dad. That was kind of like our bonding. Who were the stars when you were watching? Like who oh, were the God. biggest I mean, names? We're talking like Georgia championship wrestling. We're talking like old school, old school. Okay. It was like Saturday mornings or, you know, it was just, it was different. You know, it was, Savage was my all-time favorite. Got and, it. You know, he was my all time. And I know he Got was it. a bad guy most of the time, but he was my all time favorite flair. I always 
I always gravitated towards the heel. I like the bad guys. I always, I think it was because they could talk all the talk and they were cool. Like they were edgy and they were different and they didn't play by everybody's rules. Right. They still, you know what I mean? Like I loved all, like the personas is really what I kind of gravitated to the most. And, um, you know, looking back, I love all the, the good guys now, you know, Ricky Steamboat, even Hogan, like, but I hated Hogan as a kid. Like I, hate, I was like, I don't get this guy. Everybody loves this guy. You know, like I love Randy Savage. Like he's not as cool as Savage. That was me. <laughs> it was, so, yeah. So it's just funny. But uh, so I kind of, you know, obviously loved it as a kid. I fell away from it as I'm, you know, I was worth working with my horses and competing like every summer with my horses. And I had the violin and, you know, stuff like that. And then boys, boys happened, you know. And so all of these things, and then I get out of high school and I don't really have a lot of direction. And I'm kind of like, okay, what am I going to do with my life now? <laughs> like as an adult, and I was just kind of wrestling found me. Like I found wrestling and wrestling found me. And it was a very hot era of wrestling at that time. It was that attitude era. It was stone cold. It was the rock. And it reminded me like, oh, this is why I love wrestling. Like this was the, cause I hadn't watched, you know, in a, in a space. And I think I started watching again about 96 or so um, towards, you know, my last years of high school or whatever. And it just fell in love all over again. And it just goes like, these guys are so cool. You know, they're not like, except for Stone Cold remind me of my great crazy uncle. And like, <laughs> but the most of them is just like, these guys are just so, so cool. I just didn't think there was a way to do it because I honestly found thought it was like a circus, you know, like they found these monsters. These <laughs> top, lot, yeah, than that's what I always thought too. Yeah. I yeah. had no idea. And I'm like, okay. But, and so then my friend approached me and he's like, Hey, my buddy has a school up near DC. It's a wrestling school. Cause he knew how much I loved it. He'd see me like, like locked in. And right. um, yeah. And I was like, what? And I went up to the school one day. It was like two hours for me from Richmond to DC, depending on the traffic. It could be two to seven hours. Um, but yeah. I went up to the school one day and I went that day and I was like, and it wasn't even that great of a school. It was like a wrestling school in the back of a, um, like a Taekwondo dojo sort of thing, boxing. It, I learned to wrestle in a boxing ring. So that was, but that was my first introduction into wrestling as far as behind the scenes, learning the ropes and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I went there that day. It was like November 98. I signed up that day, paid my tuition and started training. And then I had my first match in March 99, March 3rd or something, 99. It was a tag match. Wow. It was an intergender tag match. It was myself and Jake Damien against American Mike Brown and Candy. It's pretty person. crazy to think that you can go from having no direction to do to wrestling in front of, you know, 50,000 people just like yeah. that. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, but you know, those first couple years though, I mean, I've wrestled, I wrestled in Fayetteville, North Carolina at a car lot with four people and it was like 104 oh, degrees. So you were, you were born to do this. <laughs> I was like, I was wrestling and like people with like in the, you know, the armory with right. 20 people, you know, in Stanton, Virginia, those are the shows that we were doing while we were trying to get, get, you know, until I finally just kept leveling up. And I, and I 
say it's a lot like the music industry. So it's kind of ironic that I, these are my two loves and my two mm. passions, uh, horses and obviously my son, but um, that because they're so, they run so parallel in the sense that you kind of have to do all the crappy things all to like work yourself up to get seen just by that one person, that one time in front of the right crowd and just that one song, that one just moment and then everything, your whole life can change, you know? And it's it's a really cool, cool thing. And it just, it took a while to get there for me, but I'm also really grateful it took, like I had the path that I did. Like, I, I, I feel like for me, I took the right way. It wasn't like a hot shot thing or I just got it out of nowhere. Or I was plucked from a magazine or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. genuinely love the business and I genuinely want it to change the business and, and be one of the best. So. No, that's yeah. definitely the best way to do it too. It's the most authentic. For sure. Um, which is always better. Now for something like that. And, you know, you said you just naturally wrestled people randomly in random places, but you have to have a ton of confidence to, because the thing about like that, that form of wrestling is it's both sport and competition. Right. So it's like NBA players aren't thinking about entertaining people. No, they're playing. They're thinking about the game. Thinking about the game. That, that's all they're paid to think about. If, right. if any NBA player didn't want to talk, they don't have to talk. You yeah. know, <laughs> like it's not, it's, it's not the same uh, in, in, you know, uh, the most watched forms of wrestling, right? So right. Uh, you have to be so confident to be able to do both of those? Were you always that confident in, you know, being able to go out there and do this in front of so many people or how, how no. did you get that? Um, I think that I probably gained my most confidence when I was in OBW. That's probably when I really gained, you know, because when you say confidence, you have to think of it like this. And I go like, when I'm out there as Mickey James, the wrestler, that's an extension of myself. I'm not, Mickey James, who you would, I'm fortunate enough to be able to have my own name because I have a pretty cool real name, but you know, there's a lot of people where is it's, you know, the person you meet backstage is nothing like the character that you see on television. Like that character exudes confidence. It's like a person. And I think for me, when I first got into wrestling, because I didn't, I wanted, I aspired to have that type of confidence as a, on a real level but I didn't have it on a real level, but that character had it. And so it was just, that was a way for me to start to open up and grab that confidence. But it was through the eyes of a character, not Mickey James, you know what I mean? So right. learning like to build up to that level of confidence where I myself have the same confidence in me as I did in that character, that's taken, that's a whole nother I mean, I don't even think we have long enough on this call to even talk about how we got there. <laughs> right. But you know what I mean? That's just life journey stuff. But I I wanted to have that type of confidence. I think that I was already athletic because sports and, and, and you know, between, I was an endurance rider. Like I showed my whole life with horses. I started riding when I was four and I competed. So I was already a competitive person. I didn't like to lose. I'm already a perfectionist. I don't like to not succeed or not be the best or I, at least my best, you know, right. um, but the thing about wrestling that makes it different from a lot of, a lot of things, including acting or whatever, is like, you get one take 
you don't, there's no multiple takes, especially if it's live television, you have to stand and deliver every single night that you're out there. There are no seasons off. There's no days off. There's no, you know, you don't get to break for weddings and holidays and funerals and all these things. Like I miss so many moments because of my passion for the business, but you also can't let those things come in and affect your character on television because that's, you have to separate those things, you know, but still authenticity especially in today's market and today's society is so like people love off. They're so sick of fake reality, right? Like they want Which is most of everything. Yeah. But if you watch it, even in television, it's just like, it, it's slowly kind of filtering out because people are watching less and less of that because they're over it. Like they want authenticity. They want real people and real stories and real emotion, you know? And I think for wrestling too, that was a way for me to tap into because I always say songs for me. If, it, if they can grab at my heart or take me to a moment or take me to a thought of like a memory or anything like that, that's what really connects me with music. And that's what's always connected me with wrestling is the emotion, is being able to pull right. people's heartstrings and make them feel something. And that's how you kind of know that you're doing the art right. Totally. Now, it's kind of yeah. funny, too, when I think about it, like it's an interesting time because, you know, there are things that are happening in sort of like mixed martial arts world like youtubers against the greatest fighters of all time but i feel like you know in the same way that youtube is now a catapulter for you know anybody to become famous to then take that next step to movies and making music and doing that that's what wwe and other wrestling organizations were way before youtube Right. Like you people like The Rock and John C, like all these people who, you know, did it without social media, but right. you leveraged this sport platform from an entertainment standpoint to be able to do that. Is that something that you thought about when you were first getting into it? That, you know, there was like, you know, the next or that you saw, like, I'm sure as you were doing it, you saw the rock become the rock, you know, like probably sure. the biggest star in the world. Yeah. It, that's, and that's crazy to see. Like, it's a pretty amazing, but it also goes a lot to just him as a person. And you can see how much drive he has and Hey, so ambitious and smart. Um, that would, I think that we could all aspire to be some, you know, in that type of leveling up, you know, sort of marquee whether, but however, I think, um, the beautiful thing about, and wrestling has always been kind of ahead of the curve on a lot of these things. However, today with all these platforms to be able to, it kind of gives the power back to the performer in a sense, because if you, that was never a thing and within wrestling as well, because I think even when I was coming up, there wasn't a platform for me to grow. In fact, it was like, I kind of grown to a level where it had enough like steam behind me on the like little underground circuit where people are going like, who's this chick? Who's this chick? To where I got signed. But then at that moment, we got tucked away kind of in developmental so we could learn and get better and fine tune and perfect all these little things in a safe space before we were brought to television. So we were never overexposed before we were ready. And now it's like people are getting all that all that happening on television right so they're like some of them are learning on television which is a blessing and a curse for some people i mean some people get reality television shows out of it where the other people don't really ever get taken seriously as a performer because 
they got up, brought up too early, but then there's other people who have been starving on the independent scene and who've been hungry and wanting, and it just kept going, going, going. And they just shoot right for the stars as soon as they come on the scene and just kind of excel above everybody else. So there's, it's different levels. And that's why I say for me, I know I did it the right way by going like grassroots sort of way and learning. So that way, by the time I got to TV, I was overprepared. And I think that's why I excelled so quickly once I made it to television. It's just that journey to get into television was a little longer for me than, you know, a lot of people at that time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting. Now, I have a question, and I'm not sure how much you can say, but um, how much is off the cuff when you're doing, uh, when you're out there in front of a big crowd on nat live national TV? How much is, you know? Um, I will say, and I don't want, you know, I, I you know, if this is a business here. <laughs> I will say, I think that, you know, there's been enough documentaries and stuff like that. And even Vince has came back and said, you know, we're not trying to pull the wool over everybody's eyes. Obviously we are sports, we are entertainment, we are theater, we are all these things. There's are, there are many things that happen off the cuff. There's many, um, stories that change on live television based on the fans reaction you know like there could be something that happens and there's something in mind for this one thing but the people completely go a different way and you go like oh and sometimes you don't even realize the magic you have in front of you because the people will often tell you that and so there could be plans that have been like okay this is what we're doing here to wherever and then right. they go out there and then something a spark of yes movement uh, something happens to where it just changes the game and that's really a cool factor but obviously with injuries things have to change and that's you know I think we get to a space and it depends on who you're working with like where you can go out there if I'm comfortable with someone I don't really necessarily have to talk about anything you know but then there's other people who are very new and you have to make sure that they're safe and come because the last thing we don't want to we don't want anyone to get hurt right because we still have to drive 200 miles to the next town the next night which obviously is not what we're doing right now because of covid and all that stuff but there we still have to drive to the next town next night we still have to go out and put a show on for those people and you don't want to do something stupid or whatever that gets somebody injured you know out of nowhere so unless there's genuine friction between people which they just don't like each other and it just and that happens sometimes that happens too so you just never know huh. now is do you have any favorite moments looking back you know like that like that night was better than the other nights that sort of thing when you just look back on it all oh yeah i mean i have so many i have so many i, I always say that probably my biggest growing experience and to like really what defined me and helped me break away, like as a performer was my OBW experience of like leaving home for the first time, having to move to Louisville on my own. Like I had left home, but I'd never been further than 30 minutes from my mom and my dad. You know what I mean? I was still close enough to be able to go for dinner and help with my clothes or whatever it is, you know? Um, so that was a huge thing for me, but Probably like wrestling career wise, I would say, um, obviously the match, my first WrestleMania match against Trish Stratus, that will always, the, there's nothing like the first one, you know, that, that will always be a, a moment for me that I'll always, I think the fan reaction, the, the momentum going into it, the 
all of, all of the things of that culmination of my dreams coming true. That's what that was. And, um, and the, that moment of realization that I finally made it, like I legit, this is, right. this is the, mo- this That's is the made it moment. Right. 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 Um, that moment, the chance, you know, the opportunity to work with Lita on her way out and that kind of passing the torch moment. Um, that was a huge, huge moment. Also because Lita had had such, like she had helped me so much through my career that people don't even realize before I'd even gotten a contract, like while I was still on the indie scene, like just helping me whenever I was through the area and watching my matches and all these things that people don't always take the time to do, you know, and she was, she was gracious enough to do that for me. Um, then there's obviously there's a, um, a match with Beth Phoenix in, um, Alaska, I believe it was Fairbanks, Alaska, uh, that we had, and it was a non-televised match. It was probably one of the, my greatest matches of my whole career, like top to bottom. I wish it was on television. I wish somebody had filmed it. It was just magic. And she and I had, were one of those people that just had magic out there. Like I, we could just go out there and just be, we just knew each other so well. And we just could feel each other's body language. And it was just amazing. And probably one of my favorite matches of all time. And nobody will ever see it because, but we got a standing ovation when we came back through the curtain. And this was pre women getting standing ovations. You know what I mean? Really? This is, this is pre women getting like a locker room clap and not just a golf clap, but like Flair and Triple H and Cena and Arn Anderson and the whole locker room standing on their feet clapping. Like I, I legit get tears when I think about it because I still to this day haven't had that. That was the one, probably the only time that that's truly happened for me, you know? And wow. yeah, that's it so was cool. a pretty, pretty special moment. Um, yeah, and then I think coming back, uh, the cage match against Tara and Impact Wrestling, that was my first huge cage match and diving off the top of the cage. But I think for me, leaving WWE the first time and being able to reinvent and redefine myself, that was perhaps a little bit more in line with who I was then. Um, I, you know, that was really cool. And to be, still stay relevant in the people's eyes because a lot of people, once they leave WWE, you don't hear from them again, you know? So yeah. And then Oscar and takeover. That was probably, you know, since my last, that was probably my favorite match from my whole comeback of all, everything I did. In the That's last awesome. You gave, yeah. you gave me even more than I asked for. It was like a top 10. You're welcome. I liked um, it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, something you mentioned earlier too, that social media sort of does democratize the power where especially back then you know like you said somebody wasn't on tv there was nowhere else for them to be you know whereas now it's like oh you're not on tv but you have a million followers it's like all right Right. (laughs) i think it just gives the power back to the to the performer and the artist to kind of really define their audience and and market to their audience and that's the beautiful thing is like you know there could be somebody who uh you know, you would have never thought to have given a chance, but because there's such an uproar from, you know, their social media platforms or there's a true desire and they have a following because at the end of the day, it is business, isn't it? It's called the wrestling business. So it is business. And so if they have that kind of marketing and people actually genuinely care about them. And the thing is, is there's so many different interests. There's gaming, there's sports, there's all there's ballet there's all these things that people are into that have a huge audience and, right. and a huge audience a for crossover. that one thing 
yeah. right? Like I'm not a huge gamer. I will play, but again, I hate to lose. So I don't play very long. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like a move, like it's just whatever your passion is. And I think that, you know, we all have different gifts and talents and stuff too. And like, there's a way to truly showcase that now because people will watch, you know, because a lot of people are into the same things, but, and now we have a way to reach them. Whereas before we never had a way to get to them or you just had to hope for that right person to see it, you know? Totally. And that allows everybody to expand their brand. Like, you know, even yourself as, as an example here, like being able to venture into music, right. And just pulling the entire audience that watched you with you, you know, like that's, that's something that was never doable before. Um, now another question, if you could collaborate with any artist in the world, who would it be? Any artist in the world right now today mm-hmm. to do a song uh, together. Dolly Parton. That would be Dolly Parton, Miss Dolly Parton really? forever and always. Yes. And then it would have to be Reba McIntyre and then Garth Brooks maybe. And then, um, ooh, who else? I don't know. It just has to be alive, obviously. Because before, I mean, Madonna. Oh my God, Madonna. That would be pretty cool. Whoa. Dope. Should that reach would... out. Yeah. I, you think she'll pick up my phone call? Why not? For sure. If, if she's if, listening, it's 804. <laughs> if I've learned anything from doing this podcast, that everybody's more reachable than you think they are by like a multitude of a hundred. Right. Well, you think back and when I was growing up, like this, this whole thing, this was never a thing, right? Like you would never see, oh, where uh, Jennifer Aniston was eating lunch yesterday. Nobody would <laughs> yeah, ever. I don't, I don't, I don't want to know I, that. I don't too know. Intrusive. <laughs> I'm not that creepy. I don't know that. <laughs> but there are people who like, and these are the things that end up in magazines. And I'm just like, I don't know, or like on the Twitter feeds and stuff like that. And I go like, everyone is so touchable, which almost like gives this false sense, you know, of um, familiarization in a sense. Like you almost feel like you know them more than you know them or like, hey, we're like best friends. It's like, well, right. No, I followed them on Instagram and I, I yeah. heard a few of their things, but yeah, it's like everybody's way more touchable than they used to be, which, you know, makes, it seems like fame is just a little bit easier to obtain than it used to be, you know, cause there's so much. Yeah. It's definitely okay. easier. It's definitely easier to obtain, but also like looking back when I think about like the people who I consider the greats, it was all pre-social media people. It's like, I think of like Michael Jordan, you know, Mike right. was never on any of this nor will he ever be and that did do space jam that separation right of like i don't know what is going on and you know there are documentaries like every like there are for everything you know there was a big one last year on around michael and oh i know we saw it it was great last dance oh good Um, so so good it's crazy i learned stuff that i had no idea and that's the one thing but i feel like that's why those are so watched though is because people don't know whereas now is what drives like that excitement about random people like babe ruth i don't know anything about babe ruth and that's why he's like a superhero or like some of these old presidents like you know blinken and washington like we there aren't videos, there aren't really many photos of these people. And that's why they're so, you know, 
That's why they're so a, like in a particular in high way. regard those because right. they are untouchable. And that's why they can put a movie out and it'll be a box sell, like it'll be a box office sellout because that is a, there is a difference in that type of level stardom because they weren't so touchable and like they it wasn't so easy to get to. So now it makes it special. Yeah. And when you think about those sorts of people now, there really aren't that many. Like no, because no, everybody's on social media tweet yeah. pictures of your coffee cups it's like even like the people who I like yeah i don't i should i should yeah. do that um, <laughs> Ooh, this is a cappuccino <laughs> no it's it's funny um yeah. but yeah even when i think about like the biggest stars in today's day it's like you know let's use music as an example like somebody like drake um right. he's pretty private but yeah much more public than you know um frank sinatra was <laughs> you know you think what would they think of this level of because they, obviously we're everyone's you know capitalizing on it because it is such a valuable asset and it's a tool and so obviously you have to kind of stay up on the trends in order to keep a little bit but i mean i'm sure there's a lot of i'm a private person too so a lot of it's like i try to not overexpose on my because i'm just come from the country and I've always felt that way but then there is this like fo like FOMO almost in the sense that you feel the need you almost feel obligated to make sure that you're still staying up on stuff so it's like a catch-22 isn't it I just I wonder what they would think I'm like sure, I feel like I'm sure that they would be the same yeah if if they grew up in it right but only right. if they grew up in it because like yeah. the jordans of the world still aren't on social you know so obviously like some things never change but if they grew up in it it's impossible not to it's yeah. impossible you cannot be a kid today or you know at most any age and not be on social well you can't be especially if you're someone trying to break out and break through. oh yeah you can't do it without a social me media presence and a platform and somewhere for people to put their eyes on you and see you because that's the only way pe people aren't going to concerts like they used to or they aren't going to these events especially now but that way they're going to see you is on the computer or on you know television right just yeah. imagine like george washington tweeting that he just saw or that you know they just got i can't big declarations <laughs> passed It'd be right. pretty cool that would be cool pretty cool but <laughs> just tweeted totally about it <laughs> The, the thing about all of it, though, is you just get so desensitized to it all very quickly. So, like, it only works until it happens. And then after, you know, it's normal. It doesn't work. Right. Anymore. Yeah. There was, there was something you said earlier that I wrote down that I really like. You said you don't want to be overexposed before you're ready. Um, is that something that you thought about often, particularly when you were younger? Or was it more like the company knew that and then you learned it? No, I think it was something that was told to me because I kept, I was in OVW for about, I was supposed to be there for six months, you know? And at that time, I thought I was ready for television when I first got signed. I was like, I feel like I'm ready because I was good. I was probably one of the best girl. And granted, this is a different time. Women weren't training to be wrestlers at that time. Like it was only a handful of really great female wrestling talent. There was a lot of managers and girlfriends and stuff like that. Not a whole lot of female wrestlers, right? So in my opinion, at the time, I'm like, 
I'm ready. Like I've been at this for five years. Like I'm good. Like I know I'm good. I've like went to camps. I did Dory Funk Dojo. I did Ricky Steamboat Dojo. I did an ECW Dojo. I've been training for five years, working the Indies, clawing my way up. I just felt like I was ready. And I, but I wasn't ready, you know, because working on television is a way different thing than working for the people just for the house, you know, for an arena, you know? So, and I thought I was ready, but there was so fine tuning is what I needed, you know? Right. And my trainer there, he goes, I want you to be over-prepared. I can't let you go up there with his name on it. I can't, I don't want you to go up there and not be ready. I don't want you to be overexposed before you're ready. Because I'm sitting here going like, why won't they call me up? Damn, like I was only supposed to be here for six months. It's been eight months now. It's been a year now. It's a year and a half. Like what, what is going on? Oh, what do you mean? I'm not ready, but they got all these girls going up because it was diva search. They got all these girls going up. I'm teaching them how to grab a headlock. They don't know what they're doing. And they're going, he goes they're It's not going to work. They're like, that's not going to work. He's like, just you keep grinding and running your own race. Keep doing your own thing. And I promise you the cream of the crop always rises to the top. I promise you when you go up, you're just going to blow the doors off the place and people aren't going to know what to do. And that, and I, you know, I say that and I'm so grateful that he said that to me, but I was so irritated. Right, I imagine. One, I was pissed. I'm like, seriously, this is bullshit, you know? Like, sorry, pardon my language. I apologize. You could leave. No, you're good. I owe, it's, this isn't on a network. I own it all. So okay. you can say whatever okay. you want. You go for it. You own it all. Um, <laughs> I, but I was like, I was getting so frustrated. And he's like, just trust me, just trust me, just trust me. It's going to happen. You just have, when it happens, you're going to be overprepared. I want you to be overprepared. And so it just resonated with me. And I, and I think that that honestly, had I gone up, like I would have still done well, but I would have been making all these little tiny mistakes right. that I didn't make there on after as far as my in, now life mistakes made a whole lot of those, but Everybody in does. mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I, I have to imagine too, just because like even whenever I'm, I do a lot of play-by-play -play broadcasting for mm -hmm. basketball. And even when I'm like under a light for three plus hours, like I'm drained at the end. I can't even right. imagine what it's like being on a stage under the lights, also in front of a crowd, also moving because I'm sitting down stationary. <laughs> well, I'll say, well, and I'll say this cause I've dabbled in commentary. And it is one of the hardest things I, it was for me. And I go, because I had never watched any type of sports from that perspective. I've only watched wrestling from a wrestler's mind, right? right. Like I never watched it aside from when I was a fan girl. And, and obviously it's not cool to be a fan when you're trying to be in the business. So you had to stop being a fan and you had to be a businesswoman, Right. So I had to stop watching wrestling like a fan and watch it to study it so I knew what you know what I mean study it the ins and outs and all these so then I had to almost like as a commentary you also have to sit back and watch it from the fans eyes but also from the analyst eyes and that was a real difficult task for me it's like because your brain has you have to be so quick you have to talk in sound bites you have to know when to wrap it up because there's wild like there's so many moving parts there's people in your ear there's all these things <laughs> happening my brain didn't know what to do 
<laughs> yeah, there's a lot of multitasking that goes on. Yes, and I'm used to multitasking. I'm a mom. That's all I do is multitask all day. But right. for whatever, I'm sitting there going like, yeah, like I'm talking to the people in my headset. It was a hot mess. Like I, <laughs> it took a while to get it to get it into like where I started to really feel my right. groove. That was also one of those things that I go like, I don't think I was ready to go out there and commentate on television as a real commentator like I think I needed to find my I wasn't over prepared I was and that wasn't on anybody but me like I think that I just wish that I if I had known like that was a vein and that was a real thing that I was going to look into going after that I'd really dove in and studied it but I don't think it was I don't know it's hard that's sort of like the general I'd imagine blessing and curse of being famous is that no matter what you do you're automatically exposed to everybody like when you're just learning new things like you could be if LeBron decided to play the cello tomorrow everybody's going to judge him as if he's LeBron not as if he's the beginning cello player right right it's like oh you should just automatically be awesome at it like right Right. it doesn't work like that I don't know how to walk in these things like right it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so la- last question for you. What what are you most excited about now? Are you most excited about the music? Are you most excited about future wrestling? What are you what excites you the most? Um, ooh, I'm excited about my freedom. That's I'm great. excited about the freedom to be able to make my own decisions, to be able to do what I want to do. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think that I I had all these expectations and that's a problem. You can't have expectations because people will never live up to them. Um, But I had all these wants and these expectations, but it was always, you know, at the hands of somebody else. You know what I mean? Like it really, so it's, I'm just grateful to have my power back to kind of control my destiny and to like really kind of do what I want and do what makes me happy and do, you know, be able to, hang out with my son and watch him grow up and be awesome because he's so much cooler than me. And I just, it's going to be awesome. I'm excited about that. Um, I'm excited about doing the music. I've been working on all my music, but this new song, like it couldn't have come out at a better time. Like we couldn't have launched it at a better time. I think it's a perfect statement for everything that's going on in my life right now. And the one thing that I'm most, most excited about is this empower pay-per-view at chase. um, I was reading about that. Yeah. Room that we're coming back like NWA. We just announced I'm partnering with Billy, um, Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins, but he's also the owner and the president of the NWA. And so I had sat down and had a really cool conversation with him about this women's brand. It's been something that I wanted to do and wanted to do for the girls, all the girls and not just me. I wanted all of us to be able to do it, you know? Um, and I, I'm, finally being able to allow the freedom to be able to bring that and the faith to bring that to fruition, you know, and I think that's a really cool thing. And it's just crazy to me. It's, and it's ironic that it took a person I'm so passionate about wrestling and music, but wrestling is obviously be the thing that people know me from. And then here, Billy Corrigan, who is also passionate about wrestling. (laughs) It's it's opposites, right. And, but music is obviously, you know, the thing that he's, people know him from perfect match that we've kind of it's weird right but i've been billy's we've been friends for 20 years so it's like crazy 
it's crazy to see this kind of how it's all kind of played out. And um, yeah, he's putting faith in me and trust in me to put this all women's first ever NWA, all women's uh, pay-per-view together. It's, and NWA is the oldest, most prestigious one of, you know, dates back, you know, WWF days, you know, like, so it's like old, old territory days and everyone who's everyone has held those championships. And so it's just cool. It's cool. It's a cool piece of business. And so I'm going to do my best to put on the, one of the best, greatest all female pay-per-views you've ever seen. That's and, amazing. Uh, so when is that? Where can people um, watch that? It's going to be on live on fight TV. Um, and it's the full weekend. So it's August 28th is the empower pay-per-view all women's pay-per-view. Uh, August 29th is NWA 73, the anniversary show, which is going to be the biggest show of the year um, for NWA. And it's all from the historic Chase Ballroom in St. Louis, Missouri. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so, so amazing. And if you got nothing to do, you got to come. If I can, I will. That's, that's, that's super exciting. Congrats on all that. Not putting you on the spot, but I did. If I can, I'll be there. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. No, I'm so excited. That's super cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I'm going to link all your socials below as well. So people can find you there and keep in touch. And uh, yeah, we'll have to do this again someday. I can't wait. Yeah, we'll have to do it again coming up into the pay-per-view once I announce some awesome matches. Awesome. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Peace.